Amen. Last week we uh, had friend day. We had uh, s'mores. We had all kinds of good fun out here last week. And to be able to celebrate Cat's baptism in the middle of the week, I don't know. We just, it's been a good time here at, at Church of the Island. David and Jonathan were best friends. They had practiced practically out loud the greatest commandment. First, they both loved God, and then they loved each other. They built each other up. And we talked last week just about how important it is to find your friends in the right place, but in order to be a good friend, uh, we really need the help of the Lord Jesus, don't we? Today, we're going to see how much more Jonathan was needed by David, but we're going to see what life is really like in the context when things aren't going all that well. How do I behave when I'm on the run? David spent largely 10 years of his life running for his life from Jonathan, his best friend's father, the king. Saul was insecure. Saul didn't surround himself with anyone that he needed as good influence, or if he did, he didn't listen to them. We are going to look through, we're going to skim over, if you will, two chapters, three chapters of Samuel. First Samuel chapter 22 and 23, but if we could sum up David's entire juncture at this running phase, 1 Samuel chapter 21 in verse 10 says, David rose and fled that day from Saul. He spent the next 10 years running from Saul. He's constantly listening behind him. The dogs baying in the distance, smelling David. The king goes from insanity to jealousy I want you, I don't want you dead, you've done great things, you've had mercy. These are his fugitive years. The earlier years built David's character, the, former, the formative years, if you will. These years are developing his convictions and developing his leadership skills that he can be all he needs to be. Keep in mind, he's going... For, through a variety of experiences. Although we mentioned how to behave in a cave, think of a cave as any situation that is difficult for you. David finds himself in the woods, on the side of mountains, hidden in fields. He's not just in caves when he's running, is he? This idea that Christianity, once I follow Christ, everything is beautiful on that side of it. Yes, we get the peace that passes all understanding, which can guard our heart and minds in Christ Jesus, but that doesn't mean the outside is all peaches and herbs, is it? As a matter of fact, after most baptism, after mine, Things got more difficult, and the more I obey, the more difficult my walk became. 
I find that God wants to refine us in our faith. But we don't choose that route, do we? We don't choose the caves. We're chased into them. And whether God allows it or not, how we deal with the situation does matter. There are times when things are going great. We got plenty of money in the bank. The job is secure. We get that loan for that new home. Our kids are geniuses, and they're doing well in school and well-behaved. And then suddenly the wheels fall off. In chapter 22, in verses 1 and 2, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul, here's the key, gathered to him. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. We'll talk about this specific gathering of people in a minute, but David finds himself in some cave experiences. We get there, everybody gets there, God's ready for David to be king, David's ready for himself to be king, but maybe the training isn't over for him to get there. The Bible says we will reign with Christ the Bible also says we'll suffer. And Jesus said you're going to have difficulty, but in this world, be of good cheer. I've overcome it. Suffering is one of the things God uses to prepare our hearts for the throne that has been destined for us in God's plan. He's one of the things that God uses. C.S. Lewis said pain is God's megaphone. When things are going well, I often don't need God, do I? But when things aren't so well, not only do I need Jonathan, that's mostly when I need God. And it reminds me that when things are going well, I need to really pay attention to the fact that I needed God so much that maybe I need him even more when things are going well. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. It doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Last week we saw the importance of having a friend there to pick us up. And today we want to look at the benefits we can garner from the low places. That we can share with others when they're there. Because 2 Corinthians 2, Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and all comfort, who comforts me and comforts you in your our affliction, that we may comfort others in theirs. In any affliction, with the comfort with which we were first comforted by God. If you haven't gone through anything, and God hasn't brought you through anything to share a testimony about his miraculous love, mercy, and comfort in your life. What do you have to share? 
Everything went well, so it must be the Lord, is not a testimony. There are lots of people who everything goes well for, and they made it sure that way. But they don't have God. Let's look at two basic benefits these cave experiences can offer. Number one, cave experiences can be places of trial. They're places of trial. Sometimes in a cave, we find ourselves in a trial. In chapter 1, you really have a series of mistakes on David's part. In the first few verses, he's gone to a place called Nob to Ahimelech the priest. He's hungry. He's got no weapons. David's running, and he's afraid. And he allows fear to affect and guide him. David came to Nob, Ahimelech. Ahimelech came to meet him trembling, and he said, Why are you alone? Not only was David afraid, but Ahimelech knows something's going on. They're both a little frantic. Why? He's not supposed to be there. Something's amiss. And then David's response when Ahimelech says, I've made, here's David's answer. In verse 20, in verse 2 of chapter 21, David said to Ahimelech, The king charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. He boldface lies to the priest that he goes to see. Fear, stress, they make us do things we wouldn't do without it, don't they? David, the future leader, looks right at the priest that he comes for help and he lies straight to his face. He doesn't get struck by lightning. He's not perfect. The Bible doesn't necessarily approve of these behaviors, even though Jesus pointed it out later on, didn't he? He didn't, wasn't it okay to feed David when he was hungry? I think he was making a point. He's not giving David a license to sin. He's not telling us it's okay. He's saying that we get so hung up on behaving our way to God that we never get there in the first place. David was there. He, was, he wasn't perfect. But after, a man after God's own heart, what made him that way was that he was responsive to God when God wanted him to respond to him. He cared about God's heart. He sometimes jumped the gun. There are plenty of experiences in David's life and plenty in our lives that aren't going to look perfect. And he's not necessarily a good example on this occasion because he lies. He makes two requests. Number one, he says, I need some bread in verse 3. And number two, if you go down to verse 8, he asks if he can have a sword. Then you, have you... Not here a spear or a sword at hand. I don't have anything. Because the king's business required haste. He, he keeps the lie going while he's asking to be fed and armed, isn't he? The only bread he had was on the table of showbread. 
the holy, sanctified, sacred bread. This is what Jesus was talking about in Mark 2. Though the letter of the law might be broken, the spirit of the law is still retained. David asks for it, and I think we can garner this. At the place where you worship God, you ought to get the bread that's valuable to eat, to sustain you on a journey that you go on. You ought to get a sword to equip you for the battle. When you leave here, you ought to be better equipped. There's something we can get from the way David asked for the right things at the right time, even with a wrong heart and a wrong motive. He sought God in God's place, wasn't completely comfortable because he was fearful, but he asked for the right things. Jesus said that we need, that he is the bread of life, and he told his disciples to pray, give me today my daily bread, didn't he? We seek so hard in our lives to be fed on our own, to fight our own battles, that we wait until the battle is over and we have lost before we ask Why did that happen? We'd be frustrated, and even then we blame God for the situation we're in. But at the beginning of every situation, every time David would run, he would turn to God. Someone might say, David doesn't really deserve bread. Let me tell you this. I didn't either. You didn't either. None of us deserve what we ask God for, do we? His grace and mercy wants to provide for us. He provides for us not based on how good we are, not our requests. He bases his answer on how good he is. He says, I want to provide for all of your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The trouble is that we, we doubt him. We don't necessarily believe him. Lord, if it's your will. David didn't say if it's your will. He lied to the priest and said, give me some bread. And then argued, I need that for my men. The journey was quick. The Lord pours out his blessing on us, not because we deserve them, but because he is a good God. So they gave David his sword. And it just so happened that it was the sword of Goliath that he had killed in the valley of Elah and cut Goliath's head off with. Here at church, we need to be fed. We need to learn to be equipped. What are you hearing? There's somebody else at church that day when David went. Look at this. A certain man of the servants of Saul was there that that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. This guy is a doofus of all doofuses. He could not stand David. He was Saul's henchman. He was the chief herder. He took care of his mules and donkeys. He's a spy. 
that's interesting that you have two people that went to church that day. One was David, one was Doeg, and they both came away with different outtakes. David came out fed and armed, and Doeg came out angry and ready to murder. I wish my brother was here to hear this. <laughs> we often think in terms of what somebody else needs to hear rather than really listening to what God wants to tell me. And now in verse 10, David, still fearful, the scripture says he runs to Gath. This just so happens to be Goliath's hometown. He's got, he's got Goliath's sword, he's been fed, and now he's in Goliath's hometown. He fled that day from Saul, goes to Achish, the king of Gath. 1 Samuel 21, 11, and 12 says, After they recognized David, the servants of Achish said, Is this not David, the king of the land? Didn't they sing to one another, to him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid, as if he wasn't already afraid. He's much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. It's interesting how believers act in enemy territory, isn't it? God wanted to change the way David responded when he went to enemy territory. He went from being fearful to being brave later. But he had gone to enemy territory before and killed this same giant. Now he's in the giant's hometown and he's, just, he's afraid so what does David do? In verse 13 of chapter 21, he changed his behavior right before them, pretended to be insane in their hands, made marks on the doors of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. He goes nuts. He pretends that he is crazy. That's what happens to me at Christmas time. I get into enemy territory, and I start acting crazy. Uh, there's lots of crowds around, there's people saying crazy things, and we start acting crazy. David literally put on an act. What is the word in Scripture for act? Hypocrite. When I get in enemy territory, am I really a Christian, or am I acting like I fit in so that I don't have to ruffle any feathers to get past this mess that I got myself in? I think we ought to be able to be the same person in both places. So we don't have to act crazy. What does the king do when he sees that David's acting like this? Look at verse 15. Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He's saying I've already got enough nutcases around here. I don't need one more. And we go to chapter 22, and we look in verse 2 and 3, and everyone was in distress, everyone was in debt. We read this, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David. He became commander over them. There were with him about 400 men. And David goes there from Mizpah of Moab, 
And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. The group of men that joined David are also nuts in their own right. Uh, but they were people who were oppressed. They were people who needed a savior. God knew that they needed a savior. They were sick and tired of being sick and tired. And David had attracted them with his, his character, his reputation, everything he had done in battle. They remember this and they go, I want to follow that guy. I don't agree with what's happening. So much so that I'm willing to hide, to grow, to learn in a cave. It says they were in distress. This means they were all under pressure. They had a debt to pay of their own. They were discontented. They were restless. They were frustrated. We've all been there, and this is a strange mixture of people. I found that I can communicate most, most effectively in stress with people who are also in stress. We find ourselves needing to mourn with those who mourn, to comfort those who need comfort, right? It's easy to put on an act. How many times do you go to church and they say, how are you doing today? And you hear, I'm blessed and highly favored. I could hear no better churchy thing to say. But what I want to say out loud a lot of times is, I'm not doing well at all. When we admit out loud, when people know that we need a Savior out loud and that we have shortcomings enough to be nuts out loud, there's also healing that can take place out loud. Uh, what James said is the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why? Because he's confessed to other people. He has said out loud to his brothers, not forgive me generically of my sin, but forgive me of this that I struggle with. This is why we have life groups that meet, small groups throughout the week, so that you guys can talk to someone else about what's going on in your life, seek scripture about what to do about it, and then pray for one another and challenge one another to do the right things. And after you do, share testimony about what he's doing. So on Sunday, we can play that testimony right there. God healed my debt. He healed my finances. He did this, that, and the other. But I had to go in the cave with others first. I think it's a good place. The 400 become the nucleus of the new kingdom that David had. And later, you're going to see in just a chapter, they become 600. I would give you my life. I would give my life to Christ. But I'm not all I should be, some might say. You have to get the idea that I can behave my way to heaven out of your mind. I can't bring anything of value to him. All I have is me, and he says, that's all I want. I want your heart. We don't come to Christ because we're all we ought to be. We come because we need him. We need him to throw us a life preserver, and he can meet your needs according to his riches and glory. So if there's anybody in debt, 
material and financial or disconnected, go into the cave. That's why we're at church. If you know somebody's in trouble, invite them. Tell them it's okay. This is what I've been through. Remember stories that you've been through. Maybe you today feel like something's missing in your life. In verse 6, the scene goes back to Saul feeling sorry for himself in the palace. And in verse 8, he says, There's none that is sorry for me. Woe is me. Then he literally says out loud, There is none that is sorry for me. And in verse 9, in response to him complaining, Doeg, the Edomite, stood by his servants and says, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. He tells him what he saw, and Saul's furious. Ahimelech is confronted by Saul. Saul brings Ahimelech in. He's incredibly furious now at Ahimelech. In verse 18, the king turns to Doeg. He says, you turn and strike the priests. Doeg that day, after Ahimelech says, there's no way I'm going against David. He has done nothing wrong. He has among your servants the most faithful you have ever had. He is the king, your son-in-law. He is your son's best friend. Why would you even want to kill him? The king turns to the servants and he says, kill them. They refuse. He turns to Doeg, and that's just what he wanted to hear. And Doeg wipes out 85 priests that day. None of that appeases Saul. Doeg is in such bad shape that he decides to go to Nob, which, by the way, means nothing. Literally means nothing. He kills everyone else there. The priest's son is the only one that makes it out. Abiathar is a Himalek's son. He's lost his whole town. He's lost his friend. He's exhausted. David sees him coming in the distance from, from the mouth of the cave. He gets to him exhausted. David says, I knew on this day. On that day in verse 22, when Doeg was there, back when, we, when I was asking God for favor, I needed bread and I needed a sword. I saw Doeg in the back. There was an enemy in the camp. When Doeg was there, he would surely tell Saul, and I have occasioned the death of all the persons. It's my fault that your family is gone. It dawns on him his mistakes have contributed to others' tragedy. He's much more careful in the future until he gets lazy, isn't he? You don't find out David and his weakness when he gets lazy is when Bathsheba. David, most of the time, does the right thing. Fights and prays and asks God, ask God for the right thing. 
But the very few things he does wrong are way, way, way wrong. So he feels guilty. Abiathar's whole family's gone. David looks at him and he says in verse 23, you just stay with me. I'll take care of you. I'll take ownership of you. Cave experiences are trial experiences. When you read about David and Samuel, you read about circumstances of David on the outside, don't we? We see the history of what David did, but when you read Psalms, you read about David on the inside. You read about characters, historical data. David went here and did this. When you read the outward accountants, accounts of him, but when you hear from his heart and the depression that he went through and the struggles that he went through that were so real and the ministry that he needed to receive as well as God was able to give and, and, and give him a new heart and the forgiveness he had to receive, read the Psalms because he composed much of that in his cave life. You learn more about God in caves than you will anywhere else in your life. Let's look at chapter 23, and we'll finish the second point, which means, which says, cave experiences can be experiences of training. Not only are they trials, but they're training experiences. There's a place called Kila. The Philistines had attacked Kila. David comes to the aid of the, the people, the inhabitants there. I believe God trains him in this place right here. He learns the importance of prayer and the word of God here. In 1 Samuel 23, verse 2, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack? Shall I go to this place? And the Lord said to David, you go and attack the Philistines and save Kyla. David was moved back into fellowship with God after he had lost fellowship with God because he cried out to God first. He could have just looked and said, that's an unfair circumstance, and I have to do something about it, and I'm going to grab my sword and my bread, and I'm going to go, and it's not the right thing to do, and God would not have blessed him. In verse 3, his men didn't agree with the plan. They were afraid. David had to again, on their behalf, continue praying. How often do you have a situation in your life where you've prayed about something, you know the answer, but then I go to my wife and she says, I do not feel good about this at all. We're going to have to do this, 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 and this. And then we go straight back to the prayer closet and I take her with me. And we sit down with God's word separately. And ask the same questions. And we pray and we pray and pray until his word confirms to us what we are to do. And let me tell you that he does that 100% of the time. Because especially in a married where two are one, God doesn't want the world to separate us. He's not going to tell Ashley something that he doesn't want me to know. It's going to affect her. So I must think women's tuition has value. My wife has value. He put us together. I must listen. 
Our church family has value, so when it comes to praying about whether we built this, it took, what, two years, and we went back to the drawing board six times and did not do anything until God's Word gave a clear go-ahead. But we didn't rush. God blesses when we don't rush and we continually seek His Word and we continually pray. If you are getting impatient Go back to the drawing board. Keep praying, keep depending, and keep interceding. Because there's people around you in church that are afraid of Judah when you're not. In verse 6, we're told when Abiathar fled, he came down. After David's not stopping the prayer, he came down with an ephod. An ephod is a part of a priest's clothing. And there were two significant parts to this clothing. There's a urim and a thummim. Uh, these are two rocks. And when you ask God something and the answer is no, the lights are dim. But if the answer is yes, the lights get brighter. It was the way the priests would get close to God and that was part of this apron that they used when they were praying and crying out to God. We don't have that today. We don't need that to determine God's will in our life because we have the Word of God. If you look in Acts chapter 4, the early disciples said, We give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So we don't have to look to our horoscope when we have prayer and ministry of the Word. We have one another that we can separately go to the Word. God will give you a Word and someone else a Word, and it will confirm the direction that you are to go. His Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray about it, search the Scriptures about it, and when the Word gives you the bright light, then you go. David, in verse 16 his best friend Jonathan comes back into the picture after all he's gone through. He's been running and saving and taken in an army. And in verse 16, Jonathan, Saul's son, rises and he goes to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. We read this last week. It's a beautiful thought. When you're going through cave experiences, one of the things God trains you to know is that he never leaves you alone, and he will send people in your life to encourage you. He will send people in your life to strengthen your hand, if you will. David basically is reminded by Jonathan of God's promise for David. In verse 17, he says, Don't fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. What David did not know, because they didn't have cell phones, is what Jonathan had already been through. Jonathan had been asked by his father to kill David. He knew that there was a bounty on David's head, and he was telling David about it. And he tells him, here, there's no way he's going to touch you. You will be king. You remember Samuel anointed you? You forgot. And I will be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows that this is going to happen. So whatever you say, you need to remember what the Lord already said. 
Don't counteract his word. Remember his word. Remember his testimony for your life. When we go through trials, one of the greatest things we can do is remind ourselves when someone else is going through a trial you remind them of God's promise in your life in a similar trial your testimony will help or God will give you a scripture that will help strengthen their hand David and Jonathan here make another covenant and this is the last time they get to see one another something else is going to happen it's a long story, but in verse 19, it talks about Saul being on the trail and getting closer to David. You can hear and feel the pressure that David has. He gets on one side of the mountain, Saul's on the other side of the mountain. David's stressed. And in verse 26, Saul and his men compass David and his men round about to take them. And then something strange happens in verse 27. In verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. Saul had to drop everything and leave to go defend the land because he was the king. The Lord made a way of escape. The Lord took care of David. The Lord will take care of you. God's providence will be backed up by God's previous promises in your life. If he has called you somewhere, he will confirm that. If he is leading in, in, in a direction in your family, if it goes against the word of God, it's not his will and you don't have to pray about it. You read it in scripture and go, I'm not doing that. Anything short of God's will in your life becomes a curse, and it can divide, and Satan wants to divide. We are seeing what happens in our, in, our, in our culture today. The family doesn't mean what it once meant. We're divided on the basic things that Scripture says because the church, by and large, has said... I want to be progressive in my theology rather than accept the Lord's theology. If we want God's blessing and we want God to use us in this generation in which he has planted us, we must stand for him, not what we think he stands for. We must know the word in order to apply the word and be blessed by the word and comforted by the word as we walk in the word, I will be able to see that Jonathan has a need when I'm close in the word. And I can strengthen his hand when I'm in the word. And when someone is out of the word and they come to encourage me, I know it. And I'm not going against God's will for my life. You shouldn't either. We must be careful who we listen to. Who are your best friends? Last week we said, who's in your boat? Jonathan was on David's side, even against his own father. It's a wonderful thing to happen when we listen to God. When God provides only what God can provide. What were the odds of the Philistines invading at that very time? 
In 2008, Dawson Tippins was born. It was March. I was serving at Cottage Hill Baptist Church in a recovery group. We had, the year before, we'd run 40 or so people, and it was a good Bible study, and I was baptizing people and seeing people come to faith. And at this point, I was extremely discouraged, and there was very few people there. I had given it largely over to someone else because I had gotten myself busy doing other things. I would say this was a time in a cave for me. And I'm going to end with this. Dawson is born, and that day, someone bought my Jeep. I bought a truck. My business had, you remember, I was in real estate. You remember the entire real estate market crashed. I lost all cash flow, had seven houses, and he's my second son. And I had no idea how I was going to provide I prayed before going to serve at church that night. Lord, I don't know how you're going to provide. And honestly, I don't know why I'm still doing this. I'm not enjoying it. I don't like what I'm doing. I spilled the beans to him. I went to church and I led that small Bible study. We prayed and I came home. What you need to know is for that day, I needed $1,000. Our mortgage was due. I had people that I had just been kicking out, I had a newborn. And I was juggling money. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I got the mail when I got home. I'm still a little upset and depressed. I go to the mailbox. I get the mail. And then I walk to the front door. And on the front door, there was a, an envelope. In that envelope, which I found this week when I cleaned my office was a note that said a man shouldn't work for free. It was an anonymous check for $1,000. To this day, I don't know where that came from. I went inside. I shared it with Ashley. I told her what happened, and I sat beside my newborn. And we said, God, thank you for proving that you provide for our family. And it's not me. I will simply say yes to what you tell me, to what you call me to do. No matter how hard it is, I will continue. Thank you for encouraging me today. As the band comes... And as we finish today, it might be that you 
Don't have anybody that close that you can be honest with. Maybe not even your spouse. I'm afraid to tell my spouse that I need $1,000. I know that there are families right now on the verge of divorce because of what they don't know is happening in finances or behind closed doors that need to be united. It's God's will that we're one. Not two. Not me being happy, fulfilled because she's what she has to offer me. But because I've surrendered to him, I have the ability to surrender to everyone around me. First of all, my wife. Maybe you're in a trial. Maybe it's just a time of testing. Maybe God has got you in a cave to make you stronger. So we depend on him for that thing. When we give up, he gives it to us. We need to get in the word and stay in the word. We need to pray. We need to depend on one another. I want to go ahead and invite you to stand. We're going to worship. We're going to sing one song. If you need prayer, I'll be right down here in front. We'll have other people that will pray happily for you. And you can pray right where you are. We're not here to embarrass anyone. We're here to encourage you in your walk. Maybe you don't have a testimony about what God has done. That's okay. Because He loves you right where you are. He just loves you so much He doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to seal and sanctify us. He wants to make us look more like Christ the more time goes by. Because there's other people in our lives that need Him. Dump your trial. Dump your circumstances at his feet. Decide before you leave here if there's something you need to share and who that person is. You're either leading, reaching out to, or that that can help you. Maybe you need to make things right with someone else. You need to go to the altar leave the altar, go back to the person and make things right, and then come to the altar and offer to God. I'm going to pray for us We'll worship. Lord, we thank you for the struggles that David went through because we, we go through them. And they're every bit as fearful as they were for him. He saw people murdered, Lord, and he had his life in danger. And in our world, we see suicides happen every day because of the hopelessness that we have, that our culture has without you. But in Romans, we read that the endurance that you want us to have, that these tribulations that we go through, produce endurance which produce character and that character gives us the hope only the hope that we can have in Christ so give us the hope to, or the fortitude that we need to trust in you to build our faith 
And help us to not act, but to be honest, both to ourselves and to those around us, that, that we might be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to grow. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to them. If you are not a Christian, all you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. If you want to do that, please come see me down front or after the service, and I'd be happy to help you do that. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.